Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre. One of the things I like most about doing this podcast is it gives me the ability to call anybody I like in the FileMaker community who's doing cool things. And today our guest is Martha Zink, who is the advocate of accomplishment for Mighty Data in Texas. As a certified developer and authorized trainer, her job ranges from development to training, but her main passion is the training. So welcome to the show, Martha. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. So we've never actually really talked about training on this podcast, and we're going to get into that. But first, we actually also have a couple of our normal intro segments, the It's Not FileMaker and FileMaker Cool. So let's start with uh, what's not FileMaker. What do, you, what do you like? So there's this thing, whenever I get a new computer, I always try to f- figure out ways to work faster and you know make things cooler. It's kind of a nice transition. And I actually found Quicksilver, and I think I might be one of the few people to not be using it maybe, but it basically lets you open up applications with the keyboard commands. So you just hit a keyboard command and start typing what you want to open, and it opens it. It's actually really fast and I don't know as a developer I like my hands on the keyboard so how often do you get new computers well not that often but when I do or when a hard drive crashes or something crazy happens <laughs> I, I do have the new MacBook Air though so I, that, that was my new transition here oh uh, you spoiled it because I also have the MacBook Air and that's my it's not FileMaker well then let me let me hand it off to you what do you think about it <laughs> I totally love it I have the 11 inch <laughs> model which I got with the bigger drive it's cool. the computer that I can easily take back and forth to work. I can, you know, it almost fits in my jacket pocket, you know. Very cool. Yeah, agreed. I, I have the 13-inch, and I love it. Um, I am still kind of afraid to break it because it is so light and thin, but it is one sexy piece of uh, hardware. Well, it's got no moving parts, so it could take, could take a, a lot more abuse than I think <laughs> the other one could. And That's also true. by being so light, it actually is going to hurt itself less if it falls true. Than, a, than a really heavy one would, but I still true. really don't want to drop mine. Yeah, I'm still going to be pretty cautious for a while. <laughs> I, what I, I'm most shocked by how fast it boots. Yes, and that part I, is very nice. And how fast it runs FileMaker and runs applications. I was not prepared for how fast it is. Yeah, everything runs really smoothly, which is really cool. I think, you know, one, it's it's new. Obviously, new computers are always the best. But, yeah, they're, yeah, they're faster. But there's definitely a little feel of, of quickness to this one, so I'm, I'm a big fan. Every time I show it to someone, they go, oh, thank you for giving this to me. And they want to try to take it because it definitely has a lot of uh, appeal that way. It does. So FileMaker Cool. What's your FileMaker Cool? I think a lot of FileMaker Cool comes out of stuff that you're working on and and you run into problems and you've got to solve it the hard way sometimes. I had a client who didn't really like the way that FileMaker handles a lot of its interface. So for example, you know, you pick a value from a dropdown and it moves you to the next field. Well, they didn't like that because if the next field was a dropdown, they just, to them, it just, if you felt like you needed to stop and then they should be able to click on something to make it happen. So I had to use all kinds of script triggers to make that work. And another thing was, you know, script triggers act differently if you have a drop-down versus a pop-up menu. Well, the pop-up menu wasn't really doing what I needed it because I had some kind of script triggers doing validation. So I had to do a lot of kind of error trapping there. Uh, I had to do stuff for, you know, if they hit tab versus return versus, you know, certain keys on the on the keyboard. Right. So it was, it was kind of cool to have to think it all out and, you know, of oh, course, yeah. I got I got stuck in my own database a couple times doing it. But yeah. Oh but yeah, got yeah. <laughs> you gotta you definitely have to have debugger on if you're working with. Uh, oh yeah. With triggers, yeah. and yeah, return versus tab and enter versus return is another yeah. one that I often have to explain. Yes, that one's, piece, that one's a good one. I think Mac users kind of know it a little bit more than PC users because the keys have been labeled differently on Mac keyboards. Right. But on PC, they're typically both labeled the same, even though they function differently. 
Yeah, and I had to like I had to look at the tab key. I had to look at the escape key because you know if you hit the escape, you want the drop down to come back up. So I had to make sure that certain keys weren't getting blocked. It was it was kind of a fun project to have to hash it out. Cool. What about you? Well, the one I that I've been doing, which, which I think is a good little tip, is um, you know how you have, sometimes you have a, a list. If you sort it different ways, you have a, a leading sub summary part, uh-huh. yeah. and in the sub summary, you put the field name that you're sorting by. So like mm-hmm. if you, you can have last name, first name, date of birth, you know, estate or whatever. Right. Well, sometimes the value that you're sorting on is null. And so you might have someone in your database who you don't know what state they're from. And so those records appear at the top of the list, but there's no header. Right, right. So the trick that I use is I actually put the word empty in a text widget right on top of the field name. Mm-hmm. And then I conditionally format the object to say, if there's no value, or if there is a value in the field, then make the point size for this text 400 point. Oh, wow. Which, which gets it to be invisible. Hmm. And then if there's not, then it shows the word empty right on the list. And I put that, and then I, I, I like list layouts that have, you know, 10 of those sorts for all the different fields that people can use to sort. Right, And right. then I put that little empty widget on top of each of them. And that way, if there happens to be a, a null value in any of those fields, they can easily see, oh, yeah, these are the ones we don't yet have a value, as opposed to blank, which is really confusing and looks bad. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, th- I get that complaint all the time, right? You don't realize there's going to be empty data. That's a really cool technique. I like it. Thanks. So now let's, let's dive into training. Okay, let's do it. So what do you think makes for the most successful training in FileMaker? I think that successful training is really all about being able to interact with the student. Um, you know, these these classes aren't meant to be 50 people listening to you lecture. Now, sometimes those are kind of necessary based on the scenario, but DevCon. a smaller class. There you go, <laughs> DevCon. I mean, you know, DevCon has its value, undoubtedly. But if you really want to impact someone, it, it helps to be able to talk to that person, right, to, to interact with them. So a small class or even one-on-one is always going to be my, my preference. And I think that as a trainer, you, you really have to be kind of excited about FileMaker, right? I actually had a, a student of mine tell me that my, my enthusiasm was contagious. And that's a huge compliment, right? Because the, the more excited I am, the more willing they are to learn or at least to listen, and that's kind of step one. So Yeah, I totally agree about that. Enthusiasm is everything. If you can fake that, you've got it. There you go. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> so um, the other thing is, I think as a trainer, you have to be flexible. I think we've all been in a training class where it's out of the book or it's off of PowerPoint slides. And it's just this kind of mundane, boring, you know, learning anything. And it's just not exciting. And I think you have to be willing to step outside the box and, and kind of brainstorm with the students or, or at least interact with them as much as you can. Otherwise, it's just talking in front of a group of people with no real purpose. So, yeah, absolutely. Flexibility is key. I have been in those kind of really boring classes. And I think, yeah, being able to change the content to the, to the users who are there is, is, is great. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's always kind of fun as a trainer is when you get those questions that change the direction of the class, you know, if the class is, is up for it, veer to the left, veer to the right, don't stay down the, the what the book does or what the book says. It's, it's not, I mean, they have the book, right? They can always go back and look at it. So it's, it's kind of all about this esoteric training, right? It's all about sharing what, what us as developers know. Exactly. It seems like it's more about finding where the users are finding where they want to go or need to go, and then taking them there. 
Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, it, it takes a lot of work on the trainer side to evaluate the class from, you know, from the get-go and try to adjust it accordingly. But I think that if you can do that, it really helps them out a lot. I know for a lot of trainers, and not just FileMaker, but they, they do training sort of as a way to get consulting clients. Sure. How do, how do you do that? So... Whenever we teach a class, you know, we always advertise all that we offer, right? Development, training, and, and coaching in, in Mighty Data's case. But I don't think that the focus should ever be development. I think that sometimes there are people in your classes who go, you know what, this is above my head. I, I need someone else to do it. I need some, some level of expertise. But a lot of people are in-house developers that are just looking for some training help. So I think that the, the real focus is going to have to be training, right? You're training to train. You're not training to get more work from a development perspective. That sounds right. Good. I'm glad I can give some right answers. <laughs> so far, you're getting a B. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, no. All right. All right. I'm going to up my game. <laughs> so is your primary job at Mighty Data uh, training or development? For the most part, I do development, and I think training is, is one of those markets that we're, we're working on. We actually just came out with coaching about a year ago, and basically it's one-on-one -on -one training or one uh, kind of personalized coaching where we talk to people about their specific problems. It's not me teaching out of a book or necessarily even teaching a topic. So um, th that's growing. That's kind of changing what I do. But for the most part, I do a lot of development. And to be a good trainer, you have to be a good developer, right? I mean, otherwise you're going to kind of lose the technology and the, the hands-on of it. Yeah, I don't think you could actually do training 100%. Yeah, and, and part of me has always thought, you know, that's what I want to do for, you know, for the long term. But, you're, but, I think, but like you said, you, you can't. I mean, you'd you lose so much of the, the realism behind it. Yeah, well, you could for probably a couple of years, but then, you know, you have to keep that blade sharp, I like yeah. to say. Yeah, exactly. So you think probably, though, a year from now, you'll probably do an increased amount of training compared to your current job? I think that, you know, we're really trying to push this coaching thing and I and, and hopefully that will take off because it's it's pretty valuable. I mean, to be able to get you know, the the exact help you need to have that very specific question answered, I mean I think that's pretty awesome, right? We all wish we had a little a little person in our back pocket that would give us the answers we need like and not an, have to go spend all this time Googling things, right? So it's different than have like an angel on the shoulder and a devil on the other one. Right, right. This one's in your pocket. Oh, okay. The, the little devil and angel do their own thing. Got it. So how does the coaching thing work? So for the coaching, we it's basically a monthly subscription, and it's pretty much unlimited access to a, a developer, certified developer and authorized trainer. And the idea is you call us or email us when you need something, and we walk you through whatever you need. Um, we do a lot of screen sharing so that we can see the, you know, the, the same thing at the same time, and we talk about whatever you want. I've had questions as, you know, as general as, can you tell me about how relationships work? to very specific questions about a given script that is, you know, that's not working the way they want it to or, or some problem that they don't, don't know how to solve. So it's, it really is 100% personalized. Um, and we do our best to be, you know, quick to respond and all that, all that good stuff because realistically we're, we're dealing with the knowledge workers at this point, right? Someone's trying to get something fixed or done and we want to help them out there. Right. It's kind of like regular consulting, but it has a pretty, a pretty big difference though, I think. In terms of you're actually letting them drive and, you know, showing them how it's done, but really trying to bring them along as opposed to just doing it for them. Right, right. And it's, it's actually really cool. I think that it's, it's kind of, you're, you know, you're help, helping someone, you're teaching them how to fish. You're not 
giving them the fish. Um, and, and there's something, there's something cool to be said about that. I've had lots of coaching clients who will come back and reiterate what we talked about last time or progress from the last conversation we've had. You know, it's nice to let someone run with something with an idea or with a, a start to some solution. And then they come back a week or two weeks later and say, Hey, look what I had done. Here are my next set of questions. It's a really cool process. Sounds like then, as a work as a trainer, then the, is the coaching the main work that you do uh, with one-on-one, or is there other one-on-one type stuff you do? For the coaching is most of the one-on-one we do. We also do a lot of on-site training for clients, so we tend to, to mix those together. So we mix both kind of topical training classes, and then we have workshops after them. And the workshops are basically, you know, 45-to-hour slots that people come come to and then just talk about whatever they want to talk about. People bring their solutions and sometimes a couple of people will come if they're on the same project. You know, some people really do prefer the the face-to-face. Some people are completely cool with the, you know, doing it remotely. So both have worked really well. Sure, I think everybody learns and people learn a specific way, right? Some people yeah. need to be shown, some people just need to be told, some people need to do it for themselves. Right, right. And that's the the cool thing about all this coaching is that, you know, if you're if you need it in writing, we can email. If you need it, you know, if you want to hear it, we can talk on the phone. Right. And then the screen share, you know, when it's remote, the screen share helps to, to interact a little bit. So. One of the things that I've tried to do, and it sounds like you try to do as well, is to, for lack of a better word, sort of create a developer. Find someone who looks like they have talent and encourage that talent and bring them along and, and expose them to the things that they need to do so that right. they could actually have a career in as a developer or in FileMaker. Do you... How do you approach that? I think you have to approach it kind of like how, how a lot of us started, right? A lot of us started because we had a problem or we needed to solve something, right? Very, I think three, few people in the, in the FileMaker community started as FileMaker developers. And I think what you have to do is put yourself in their shoes and, and ask what are they trying to do and why? And once you can start answering those questions and guiding them that way, um, they start they start getting the mentality. They start working with you and they start to kind of depending on you to, to push them forward. So I think that you have to figure out, you have to make it real for them. I can I can talk about data modeling all day long. I can talk about scripting all day long. Me too. Oh. It, I, I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll have an eight-hour conversation after this about it. Um, <laughs> but, but but what's important is being able to, to customize it and make it make it valuable to them. You know, I, if, it, it's just all about being specific. And making sure that they can retain it that way. Right. So, so it's kind of it's 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 really fun to have to do that. It's kind of its own puzzle, I guess, for me. Maybe that's the the high I get off of a training, trying to figure out what makes everyone tick. What are the, some of the the geeky wins that you've had in training individuals? You know, it's been stuff about it's all automation, right? I mean, I've dealt with people who are working with huge data sets. You know, we're talking about the millions of records and. They're, they spent a whole day trying to reconcile financial records or something like that, and we've been able to cut that down into an hour of their day, right? Sure, would, would, would it be nice if it didn't take FileMaker an hour? Maybe, but it was taking them eight, right, or, if, or multiple days. So um, something like that I think was really cool. We, I think about six months ago I had someone in my coaching, and she works for a, uh, a school district in, in Dallas. She's in charge of all the cafeteria food across the district and we were able to I was able to help her create the reports to automate all the data so that the quantities get calculated what everybody needs in a week is calculated 
stuff like that, you know. And it sounds it almost sounds kind of small, right? I mean, it's just a report or just a script, but it's doing real world stuff. It's doing some big things. It's making the world go round. Yeah, exactly. That's like how I think of it. Yeah. So, and then in, in general, there, you know, depending on who I'm dealing with, there's some a lot of the time I'm just helping to improve a developer think differently. Um, you know, sometimes you hear that I wouldn't have thought about it that way. You know, I always come back with, and I'm teaching you how to think that way. Or that's kind of the the ultimate goal is to expand the way that that developers think because that's what we do all day, right? We problem solve. Usually, I just go to movies and have two hour lunches, but I try to do some problem solving. Well, that's what I do, but Kirk, you know, my boss wouldn't really appreciate me admitting that. So, so I'm assuming you're going to cut this out, of course. Yeah, no, I'm totally leaving this in. <laughs> Oh, all right. Because well, I was no. joking and I was kind of going for the laugh, but didn't. Get it. Maybe maybe some of the listeners thought I was funny. Though, <laughs> but, I'm yeah. sure they did. I don't think so, no, mom. Mom, not. thanks for laughing. <laughs> I heard it from here. It might be a silly question, but why do you think training is so important? To me, it really is all about the community. I think that the FileMaker community is really united and really willing to share and learn from each other. And I think it's our job as trainers and developers to, to keep that going and to kind of pay our dues, right? I'm sure that all of us have someone that's helped us out or pushed us forward. And I think returning that favor is important. So part of it is let's enhance the community. Let's make it better. Let's get more more brains in the in the mix. The other part is that realistically, not everyone needs development, right? I mean, development a lot of times sounds like the high dollar business market because a project can take weeks or months to get done. But training is just as valuable, right? You're, you're actually educating someone and pushing someone forward. And not everyone wants to hand off their project, right? If someone's job is to be an in-house developer, let's work on making them a better in-house developer. I mean, we're not trying to take their job. We're just trying to help them out. Oh, exactly. So, and to be honest, I think that being a tra- you know, having training and development makes for a really well-rounded company, makes for a really, really well-rounded options, right? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I do development, I we kind of package it with training because you can hand the database off to someone. But if you just spend, you know, even just a few hours talking about FileMaker and Find Mode and you know, even just the basic user tools, you know, it really does enhance the user's experience with the database. For sure. So also, when it comes to the community, I know that uh, that you guys run several of the FileMaker groups in Texas, right? The yeah. developer groups, FMPUG. Yep. Yep, we do the ones in uh, Houston, Austin, and uh, Dallas. A lot of that is really community, or all of that is really community building too, isn't it? It is, it is. I mean, it's all about presenting what you have. Or um, I know that I think in Dallas, Kirk does the, he does a lot of presenting. And some other pugs, they do a lot of, you know, stump the chump and things like that. Just trying to to hash out problem solving and ways of thinking about stuff. And part of it is, we are a, a spread community. So coming together and being able to, have nerd speak with each other is, is always cool. I mean, that's what DEF CON's all about, right? Nerd speak. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, DEF CON's kind of more about the nerd speak, and pause on error is kind of more, a little, it's a little bit different. It's kind of more about the cooperation between consultants and companies. I don't know. It's, it's a different feel. It is. It's it still, is. It's still nerd speak, but it's, it's a little bit more, um, it's, it's quite different in, in its focus. Yeah, it seems almost. Uh, I don't want to say theoretical, but it, it, we're thinking to the next level, right? We're thinking about enhancing yeah. and improving versus DevCon is let's make this work and how we can get it done right. today. Yeah, more academic and yeah, bigger picture and right. Well, it's such a much smaller group of people too. So yeah, definitely. So what are the other? What are some of the other reasons you th- think uh, training is really important? 
I think that, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm all for promoting FileMaker. I think one thing that I am always doing is promoting things that I like to use or work with or, or do. You know, I brag about my MacBook Air because I love it, right? I don't brag about it just because it's a, a MacBook Air. And one of the things that I love is FileMaker. And I've, you know, ever since I've picked it up and started using it, I've used it for everything. You know, I, my wedding database came off of FileMaker, of course. So being able to tell people that and getting people excited about it, I think is really cool. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to share their passion for something? Exactly. And, and everyone wants that passion back, right? So if I can inspire someone to do more with FileMaker, I'm definitely up for that. To me, it's especially gratifying when you can, when that enthusiasm spreads in a way that you can like measure, you know, go into a right. place and one or two people are interested in FileMaker and you train them up and then other people go, wow, I, I can actually get some help in doing this and I don't have to use access anymore. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> or just Excel, right? <laughs> look at all the cool things we did in Excel. Well, look how much cooler FileMaker is. Yeah. That's always a fun transition. That's yeah, true. I think, and with some of the on-site training we do, I've been able to see that progress, and I think that's really cool. Is seeing someone who came into the intro class going, you know, is FileMaker for me, or is this what I want to do, or, you know, can I hire someone else to do it for me? And then, you know, a, a few classes later, maybe in the intermediate classes, they get excited, they're into the topic. You know, you can tell that they really want to learn it. So that's a lot of fun. I think there's, there's a lot of value there. So in the uh, on-site stuff, do you do they, you have clients all over the country? We, um, we, Tend to stick into Texas, but we do have a couple of clients that cross the borders of, of the very large state. Texas is so small. How do you have just clients there? You know what? With those 800 <laughs> miles across or so. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. That's a joke. Every, it's kind of a crazy, crazy state, huh? I think it's funny because people who are not from Texas, I think, think that people from Texas think Texas is much bigger than it actually is, even though it's pretty big. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> But <laughs> that, was, that was a confusing way to try to get that thought across. <laughs> but, but it got across, and that's what's key to it. I need to put it in third normal form, I think. Uh, sure. Sounds good to me. Let me know when, when you get that. Right. <laughs> One of my clients is always joking me about Boyce Cod normal form. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> that's, uh, like there's a normal form in between four and five, I think, or three and four, called Boyce Cod normal form. Interesting. <clears throat> anyway, geeky. Huh, a little bit. <laughs> so you, like me, are primarily self-taught in FileMaker, but a yeah. big part of your job is actually to have people who are not self-taught. They're actually taught right. by trainers. Right. Do you think that maybe takes anything away from the development of the person? You know, I think there's something to be said about trial and error. There's something to be said about hitting your your head against the wall seven times to solve a problem. I think that's what makes a lot of us great developers, but there are a few things, there are quite a few things that I wish I had known off, you know, off the cuff, um, yeah. right, right off the beat, you know, right from the start, because I spent, I wasted so much time trying to figure things out. Um, and on the other side, a lot of people are knowledge workers that are using FileMaker to enhance their, their job or to improve their job. And I think that a lot of the time they don't have the time to spend researching and trying to figure it out. So it's almost it's almost twofold, right? I'm saving people from the mistakes I've made and I'm I'm helping people who don't have time to work faster. Now, self-taught, there's something to be said about that. Yeah. But it's pretty impressive. A lot of the even a lot of the people that I do have in my training classes, they are somewhat self-taught, right? They they've gotten to a certain level. They just need to yeah. push for more. Right. So like in your classes, they've they've gotten to filemaker by whatever means to get there. 
right. you're not you're not taking people who don't even know what FileMaker is. Right. And you do get the occasional ones, but but in general you do get I mean you you get a handful of people that are that really are looking to solve a problem and they know that FileMaker might might or can do it. So Right. So yeah, it's kind of a, a good preface to to take in the class. Yeah, that should be FileMaker's marketing campaign. FileMaker, it can do stuff. <laughs> it's awesome. No, agreed. It should be, right? That's what it does. It it kind of does stuff. Does stuff. When people ask me what I do for a living, you know, when my friends ask me, it's I'm like, well, I make stuff happen. That's just what I do. See, I have different answers depending upon whether I want to actually talk to them about what I do or not. Uh, so what's your I don't want to talk about it answer? I'm a relational database developer. Uh, good, good one. That yep. one that's a conversation stopper right there. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I almost want to end the podcast right here after that, you know? <laughs> and we're at the end of the planned agenda question, so you're almost going to get your wish. Oh, okay. Well, good to know. <laughs> but we could talk about some other stuff. I actually want to talk about some of the things you've done in the development space that have been really cool lately, uh, projects okay. you've worked on. You know, I've been doing a lot of just interface stuff. I had a client, um, they're in the medical field, so they, obviously accuracy is, is very important to them. So I've been doing a lot of cool things with uh, filtered portals and script triggers. That was kind of my FileMaker cool, I guess. But the, mm-hmm. the I, it was really awesome, actually. At DevCon, John Sindelar showed off one of the solutions for the client, and it was the, the ability of using filtered portals. And it's funny because I was so proud of this creation, and I think three months later, they're like, yeah, we don't, this isn't working for us. It wasn't that it wasn't well done. It wasn't that it was the wrong way to do it. It, was, it wasn't as efficient as they needed it to be. So it was actually really fun to have to kind of take filtered portals one way and change it to another. So, um, and they're doing a lot of multi-value selections, stuff like that. Right, so. yeah, choose multiple lines from a portal and then have right. them each highlight. But what made it hard was choose multiple lines, but some lines require more data. So it was almost like I needed to queue up the selections they wanted and, and accept the ones that didn't require anything else. But anything that needed more data had to be put in another filtered portal. And then when they clicked on it, they could enter the, the exact data for that one selection. Oh, I see. So some of them actually had child records yeah. that they had to pick from? Not even child records. It was almost like child fields. So they had like, a, like maybe three or four different fields they had to populate depending on what they selected. Huh. So lots of hidden tabs there to make that happen. Um, I love UI tricks like that. I know, me too. <laughs> I, hate, I hate it. If you have to spend a huge amount of time doing silly workarounds for things that maybe should be more elegant, that's frustrating. Sure. But if, if someone has an idea or if you, if you come up with an idea of something that you really will solve that problem in a really cool way that gives it a really easy way that in two or three clicks can show you exactly what you're looking for and you can do it without resorting to too many stupid tricks, I love that. Yeah, no, agreed. I think it's you know it's part of the challenge that we run into, but it's, it's I don't know, it's what makes the development fun, right? Trying to yep. make things cooler and faster. There's only been one problem I found so far with filtered portals, uh-huh. and that is if you tr- if you try to do uh, the native set of the the native relationship that drives the portal, if uh-huh. it's too many records, like if it's Cartesian join of every record in the table, yeah, it kills performance. Yeah. So I've you seen have that. To, you have to strict, you know, get it down to the a pretty small set of records, and then filter from that, and then and then you're very successful. Yeah, yeah, and that it, it's definitely something you have to be careful when it's over over the WAN. I know that I've seen we've seen we've seen some performance issues there, but it can it can still be a really cool technique. Yeah, especially if you're using record level security on that table. Yeah. Do you use much record level security? Um, it, I don't, to be honest. I feel like I'm breaking a, a FileMaker rule here, but. No, um, it's not. It's not required in most cases. I think they're. Yeah, it's really not. I think that 
and I think a lot of it comes comes down to the way you build the interface too, and the way you know a lot of the not that everything should be based on script triggers and conditional formatting, but a lot of that does solve the problem. I think. Do you find yourself doing a lot of record locking or record level? Yes, definitely. For the for the medical database, the main project that I work on, which is a disease surveillance and, and case registry system for Oregon, uh-huh. mm-hmm. has very stiff security requirements. So uh-huh. record level security is required so that if someone actually figured out a way to look at the data itself, there'd be no possible way that they could see a record that they're not supposed to see. Okay. So, for example, if you built a different interface file, of course, we lock that down so they can't do that. But if you could build a different interface file to the data file or open up the data file directly, mm-hmm. you have to be able to say there's no way you can see or export any of these things. So, oh, in that, okay. And there's a couple of tables in there that we protect uh, very carefully. Okay. But then a lot of other data in there is any user who has access to the system should be able to see all the records in that table, and there's no need to secure it because all users are really at the same level of of need of access. For example, the, you know, all the utility tables and um, things like what counties exist in this state and, uh, you know, for those counties, what are the populations of the counties so that I can run reports of population or case counts per 10,000 of population and things like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, I guess, you know, now that we're talking about it, I, I tend to do more layout locking, I think, you know, layout level security because it it seems like different people tend to have different processes so i i think that gets separated out that way yeah definitely so you have different layout sets for different roles of users typically is how you approach it yeah well it, de- it depends on how different their processes are but sometimes if you're looking at something that goes from a uh, purchase orders to invoices or purchase orders to the construction of whatever they're buying you know the, the, even though they may be looking at the same data they have to see it in completely different ways right so it's almost like you're they think it's two different processes, right? But really, it's just kind of putting a different skin on on the same data. Exactly. Yeah. They're, well, they're showing showing totally different sets of fields, right? Yeah. Well, For some of them people. some of them overlap too, but mm-hmm. but yeah, the, sometimes you do have to add a whole new slew of fields. Like me, you probably do most of that with the same layout and hidden tabs, though, huh? Yes, as much as I can, and and I'm all for showing tabs too. I don't think I've built a solution without a tab control in a very long time. <laughs> so. I don't either, actually. And I yeah. think I'm probably increasing my use of them. I know, I know. So I get a little scared when I, you know, with training, you get to see what, what people do kind of outside of the de- the developer world, the, right. kind of the, con- the consultant world. Right. And sometimes it gets a little scary at how many nested tab controls you can get and the 7,000 colors on a given screen and the fuchsia. But, but yeah. <laughs> at least they're using tab controls, right? Because there are other people who have thousands of fields on a given layout and makes me hurt a little bit yeah definitely it's really hard it takes a lot of effort to keep things really simple some developers are say that you should never have more than two levels of depth for tabs yes you should try to build your interface so that you don't need a third or a fourth level depending upon where you are and while that's good in principle every rule has exceptions that are the case that you need to be able to break that rule sure no i'd agree with that there's always a combination. I think developers like pop-ups and stuff like that, right? So, you know, there are other ways to show the data maybe without having to have all that all that hierarchy of yep. all that hunting for data. But, but like you said, sometimes you need it. So Yeah, tooltips are pretty good. Yeah, definitely a fan of those. Especially if you can um, enable or disable tooltips at an at application level. 
Mm-hmm. So where a user can set a preference, once they understand how to use the database, they can turn them off. But actually, tooltips <laughs> for data is also really nice, where you see like a list of a name and a phone number, and if you hover over it, it says, oh, yeah, here's all the other phone numbers for that person. So then yeah. you don't even have to click on yeah. anything. It's just a momentary thing where they can just leave the thing, leave the cursor there and make it hover, and it's there long enough for them to type the number in, which is yeah. almost not, actually. I wish you could really control the length of how much time tooltips hover, but... <laughs> yeah, agreed. And I'd like to have some formatting capabilities there too. You know, it'd be nice to just the basic ones, right? Bold italics, just things like that to to kind of bring light to certain things would be nice. Yeah, it would. But yeah, no, I, I like tooltips. I especially like it when you have related records and there's, you know, a bunch of children and you kind of make a a comma of delimited list and that you, you know, if, if the list is seven long but your your portal only shows you three values, you can mm-hmm. hover over and see what the full seven are. I like doing stuff like that. Oh, so you use like the list function and substitute returns for commas? Yes. That's probably my favorite little combination. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> that's true nerd speak right there when you know exactly what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our target audience for this podcast. So. Well, good. I'm glad because I think we've been doing a lot of nerd speak. <laughs> In addition to being, being able to talk to people I really admire in the FileMaker community, being able to have an hour where I can just do uh, unabashed nerd speak is maybe the other reason I do this podcast. <laughs> We don't, we don't get that very often, right? When you're dealing with a client, <laughs> they don't want to hear the nerds speak. They're all about the business talk and when's it, you know, deadlines. That's kind of so. true. Yeah. So. Plus, with the client that I'm on now, I've had to actually adopt a whole different language. So the normal FileMaker nerd speak is not the language they speak. So, you know, record and field and things like that, they don't use those terms. They use table and row and sort of. Uh, the translation process yeah. that we go through. Yeah, value. Instead of field value, that's Kirk's topic, not mine. <laughs> no, that's not. Yeah, but it, that's not value building. I mean, like I know a I value know. in a field kind of a thing. Right, right, right. So it's actually kind of fun having the, mul- the dual vocabulary in your head, sort of translating between Spanish and English and English or something. It is. See, now I speak Spanish, so I have to translate between all three sometimes. And I actually did training years back in Spanish. That was really hard. Oh yeah. <laughs> Imagine. I mean, everything that you know. I know how to say table in Spanish, but. Is it really table in Spanish, or do I call it table, right? You've right. got a whole new world of what translates and what doesn't. Yeah, exactly. I speak Spanish, too, but I wouldn't know any of the technical terms in Spanish. Yeah, it was kind of fun to have to try to hash that one out, but we got through it. She understood, I hope. Cool. <laughs> well, I think that's all I had on my list to talk about today, Martha. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I think that's, I think that's great. I think that uh, if I had one thing to add, it's that I absolutely love training, and I think that more people should adopt training as part of their uh, their job. It's really fun to, to enhance and uh, and move forward with people. Well, I'm glad you finally said that because I don't think it really came through. Okay, well, let me, let me, <laughs> let me repeat it then one more time. <laughs> oh, for emphasis, huh? <laughs> Emphasize what you're supposed to say three times and it sticks. Oh, yeah, and then if... What's the other rule I heard recently that I thought was really fun? If, uh, if you have a question to ask and you're looking for input, wait 11 seconds. Really? Yeah, that's what I heard. So if you could say, is there anything else you want to add? And slowly count to 11 in your head, Wow, I don't, which seems see, really long to me. Yeah, I'm a really fast talker and a fast thinker. 11, 11 seconds sounds like 30 minutes to me. Right, but like in a training class, if, you're, if you, you know that someone has something to ask, apparently that's how long you have to wait for them to finally process it and decide that they're going to say, oh, yeah, I have this other question I really want to ask you about. My, uh, some of the little training techniques you pick up, my trick to do that is to walk across all of the like the people in front of me so I'll walk from one side to the other of the room 
like kind of look like I'm pondering and see if maybe they'll speak up and have a question for me. Oh, That's my, my little delay. Otherwise, you know, I'll get antsy and start talking about other things. That's probably from your training as a model where you learn that. There you go. Exactly. I mean, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Martha, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. It was, it was great. <laughs>